I really liked this episode. It's <laughs> it's a little weird coming right after the Circle trilogy, but it is still a good episode. We've got two major topics to discuss and a great guest star. John Glover, who plays Varad, and Varad Dax, plays both roles really, really well and does it basically adds a lot of believability to what is ultimately a strangely unique type of villain. You don't often see this type of villain in Star Trek. You usually see someone more like Takar, the guy that Tim Russ is playing. Oh yeah, did you guys know that Tuvok was actually a Klingon? And human, twice. Once in the past and once in the present. But anyways. <clears throat> so, I really like his presentation. I have nothing but praise for the way he portrays both characters. I'm just going to cut that off there. I know that's a weird thing to do. But I have more to say about his character in a minute. <clears throat> I do also want to mention... Didn't we already do this? <laughs> Alright, we got to evacuate the station. Oh god, there's an invading force. <laughs> you know. Uh, and I do have to admit it's a little weird how uh, Quark apparently gets away scot-free after this incident. Although, it is interesting to note that he obviously did not intend this and was willing to suffer in order to try and make up for it. Which does say something. But, I, I'm talking about Quark first, because, first of all, he does some interesting stuff right at the beginning. He says, well, he does what I like to call using the truth to tell a lie. Or, more accurately, using the truth to deceive. You tell something truthful to lend credence to whatever it is that you're trying to make your opponent swallow, right? And... I actually do believe that he legitimately cares about Rom, cares about his brother. I really do, without hesitation. And I have to admit that it's interesting to note that the two times that you know, there's been betrayal between Rom and Quark, it's been Rom betraying Quark, once with intent to kill him when he was the Nagus, and once with probable, you know, probable possibility of him dying in the previous episode, The Siege. That's really funny to me, given where Rom's character is going to go in the future, that he's the one who has tried to kill, or indirectly kill, Cork twice. But that does say a lot about Cork's character. See, the thing is, I, and I really wish we had more analysis of this, and I really do, it's not that I want Cork to get away scot-free. He should have some repercussions for this action. But I think there should be some kind of a... For lack of a better term, some kind of... Like a moment of introspection on this. Because Quark selling them out to make a deal is what he did, right? He basically sold them out so that Yeto could get on board, so he could smuggle some whatever hell it was to him. That was it. That was the deal. And that was Quark's end of things. And that's fine. But in the process of subverting the station security, he allowed for one of the station personnel, someone he actually does care about, to, at least potentially, die. And as I think we've made clear before, Quark's not into the whole dying thing. There's, there's a line there that Quark's not willing to cross. And he shows that in this episode. When it becomes clear exactly how bad this is, he actually enacts a surprisingly intelligent plan. See, the thing is, <clears throat> when Dax was taken down to the infirmary, intentionally or not, the forces of the, let's call them the bad guys for this, were divided. And so now they're no longer as strong. Now, it used to be just Bashir down there, so there's obvious issues. However, 
once Cork is down there, now Bashir has the ability to, well, not only outnumber him, but to distract him. And Cork is a wonderful tank in this case. Cork knows this. You can tell by the way he does this. This whole thing was staged. He rolls the coin to the Klingon. Then he's like, oh, I got him, I got him. And then, oh, God, he's got me, he's got me. Oh, God, the pain, the pain. And then he gets sent down to the infirmary and blah, blah, blah. That was all very clearly intended. And I think that's important to note. Because it shows how Quark was like, all right, this is over the line. Um, so, A, from a selfish perspective, I got to do something to get some brownie points back. And, B, from a non selfish perspective, this is messed up and I got to try and fix this. Because, again, killing just not okay with him. Now, <sighs> there's my note right here Tuvok is a Klingon. Now, I want you guys to think about this for a moment. First of all, Virad is willing to kill Jadzia, without question and hesitation. He knew that walking into this. There's no denying that. He doesn't deny it. Yep, willing to kill her. Totally willing to kill her. It's cool. She's going to die. But it's okay, because, I mean, screw her, am I right? No, that is pretty much his mentality, which I'll talk more about in a moment. But it's funny how logical his perspective is if you assume his assumptions are correct. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you are to presume that he can have no life without Dax, then his logical conclusions after that make perfect sense. Anything I do at this point is almost irrelevant. Hurting people and killing people is not something I want to do, but the alternative is something that is equally as bad. Ergo, it doesn't actually matter. So yes, I will shoot O'Brien, and then I will, I'll allow you to treat him, that's okay, because I don't actually want to hurt people. Like I said, he plays a very interesting slice of evil, and I do call it evil, make no mistake, because what it is, at its core, is selfish. Now, let me define that really quick, forgive me for segueing, because I want to talk about this. This is one of the most interesting thoughts the episode invoked within me. And when I use the term selfish, I mean it as a negative. I don't mean wanting something for yourself. I don't mean a desire for something. I mean wanting something for yourself at the expense of others or because screw others. In other words, it's basically one step away from total greed. The I am more important than you mentality. And obviously even that has you know shadings of gray in there, but you get my perspective. When I say the word selfish, I mean... I have a steak dinner and a muffin. You have a piece of bread. I start eating everything in front, of, in front of you, and then you get nothing because I want this and screw you. Okay, that's a terrible analogy, but whatever. I think you understand my point. You don't matter as much as I do, okay? I don't mean literally you don't. I mean that's the perspective of the selfishness. So Virad and Muriel, actually, both portray someone who is selfish. Someone who is... Not evil in the usual sense of the words. It's not like they want to cause suffering. They don't want to kill others. They are not sociopaths. They aren't disconnected or amoral. They know what they're doing is wrong. They're just willing to go through with it. And they hope that only one death will be on their conscience when they're done. That of Jadzia. This is showcased over and over and over. It's easy to start to sympathize with these characters because they portray most of the characterizations of someone who is a decent person, except for the fact that they are only doing it because they're not horrible. They are merely self-interested. Again, selfish. 
he wants Dax, you know, specifically Dax, and the symbiont and what that will bring him. And that is his focus. That's what he cares about. Everything else is basically subservient to that. And as we find out, even the woman who claims to love him is actually, I'm sorry, that he claims to love, is actually subservient to this desire as well. Once it gets to the point, he is willing to lie to and betray her because that will get him what he wants. He is more important than her, therefore this is an acceptable action. He does not want to go out of his way to hurt her. There is no malevolence, no cruelty, but he matters more. You follow? Mariel's the same way. She comes across as fairly sympathetic because, you know, the whole time, she, I don't want to hurt you, don't make me do this. And, you know, she offers the soup to O'Brien and basic acts of kindness. Because she doesn't actually want to hurt any of these people. She probably doesn't want to have anything to do with any of this. She only cares about what she wants, which is him, Farad. That's what she wants, and that's what her focus is, and she's willing to do whatever to get to that point. Now, I could comment on Takar and Yeto, but let's, they're not really, there's not really enough there to analyze, so let's leave them be. But all of this really comes in into stark contrast with three of our main characters. In contrast to these two very, very selfish people, we have Sisko, who... Well, actually, let's do this in the right order. We have Jadzia Dax. And I'm going to try to be specific about my terminology throughout this to differentiate Jadzia, Jadzia Dax, Virad, and Virad Dax. So, bear with me here. So we have Jadzia Dax and her immediate willingness to be like, I'm going to go along with this so that other people are not harmed on my behalf. Pretty much the exact opposite of selfishness. In fact, that is total selflessness. I am willing to suffer so that you do not. And she does suffer by the way. I just want to take an aside to say huge props to Terry Farrell. Remember, she's pretty new at acting. This is pretty much her first real acting gig, and she actually did a really good job in this episode as Jadzia when the, when the symbiote was taken out. Very vulnerable, but not, like, over the top. I, I just wanted to give praise to it. Moving on. She is willing to do that, and even when it is removed... She is mostly flailing, but at no point does she say, Oh God, put it back in, put it back in, or Oh God, you've got to get it back. That's not what she says. Because she is not that self-centered. Then we get to Quark. Now, Quark's an interesting one, because I would argue strongly that Quark is a balance point between selfish and selfless. As I mentioned earlier, he is willing to do what he, what he has to to get what he wants, but he also has a legitimate interest, and this has been shown many times, in other people getting what they want. Now, why that is is debatable. You know, maybe it's just because he likes seeing people be, you know, attended to or happy. Maybe it's because of the fact that he is a legitimately selfless person, at least in part. Or maybe it's because he believes happy customers make regular customers, and thus it's a partially selfish motivation. Take your pick. It doesn't really matter that much because there's no denying there is at least some of that I want to help others to help others perspective. He does want, he wants too, but nice little in between there. I've already kind of given my case for him, so let's move on to Cisco, which is my favorite. Now, Cisco says something in this episode, and I don't believe it for a second. Far towards the end, Muriel confronts him and says, All you care about is Jadzia. And in response to his, yes, and all you care about is Virad. So let's help both of them. And yet by both his actions, by his approach, and by his very sentence he just said, Sisko is ousting himself as a liar. He does not only care about Chadzia. He doesn't even only care about Chadzia Dax, or Dax for that matter. 
he obviously has an interest in basically finding the best possible outcome for this scenario in general. He is not selfish. He is merely willing to be a hardliner. And let me just go ahead and give huge praise to Cisco for this entire episode. This right here is brilliant, Cisco. He, he, you know, multiple other people in their own ways protest or fight back or whatever. Sometimes literally, you know, there's the brawl that erupts earlier so we can have an action sequence. Um, there's what Cork does to re, you know, to, to basically balance the board out. There's what Bashir does where he hardlines, look, you're going to do this. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, lots of people try to fight back. Cisco never fights back. Not really. Not, not until the brawl has already started. Cisco talks back. Cisco is so in control of the situation at almost every point in time. He's, I feel honestly like he's channeling Kirk for the whole thing. Because he basically talks his way out of this one. He just watches the scenario. You know, when everyone's it's like, all right, everyone be cool. Go ahead and work with him. It's okay. You know, he is compliant. He is nice. He is charismatic. And he is paying attention. And he notices almost immediately the chinks in the enemy. Because, yeah, they've got the guns and the muscle, but he can outthink all of them, and he does. And it's brilliant. I want to go back to that Klingon thing really quick earlier with Yeto and Bashir. Because I thought that was actually a really good scene. First of all, it's worth noting that Bashir probably could have gone ahead and overpowered Yeto. I really believe that. However... I can believe that he wouldn't try because A, his focus is elsewhere, and B, the probability of something happening to you know, Jadzia in the process is not insignificant. And he would probably look at that as an ins as insufficient uh, cause to try and attempt that action. It's not until Cork is added to the equation that he's like, oh, okay, yeah, no. And you notice he almost immediately catches on and is like, yeah, okay, <clears throat> you know, just do this and this. Here, hold this right there. Psh, there we go. Let's go free Odo. Anyways, the other thing I wanted to mention, though, about that scene is the Klingon, Yeto, says, forgive me for not writing it down. It was, a, it was a significantly long sentence, so I didn't write the whole thing down, but he basically says, she is pathetic for not fighting to save her life. Now, I will discuss the Klingons many, many times in this series and in the TNG series. All I'm going to say is that is probably one of the most obvious examples of a dishonorable Klingon I've seen in a long time. No, seriously. I want you to look me in the eye for a moment and tell me that you think a Klingon, a real Klingon, someone who actually believes in honor and decency, let's just go ahead and just go with Worf. Do you think Worf would not find it acceptable to lay down his life to save others? I mean, there's a reason that phrase, it is a good day to die, exists, or an honorable death. She laid down her life to save her friends, her comrades, if you will. And he's like, ah, she's pathetic. Then again, Yeto is also clearly on the fringe of Klingon society because he's running around as a mercenary with Tim Russ. I mean, I mean, Takar, who himself spits on the alliance with the Federation and the Klingons. So, yeah, he probably isn't what I'd call a real Klingon. I like to think they just ejected him out the airlock at the end. Or worse, sent him back to Kronos. I'm sure they would have loved that. Anyways. So, I'm looking at my notes here. <laughs> Just catching up. I already talked about that. I already talked about that. I already talked about that. I talked about Cisco. 
there is a great moment. I've already kind of given praise to Cisco for how he just talks around the scenario. But there's a scene that deserves special highlight. He approaches, so Vera Dax shows up, and Cisco approaches the situation basically perfectly. He says he just starts. He approaches him warmly, friendly, with a smile. There's no threat. I mean, he gets right up and in, up to him, and that would be you know as a hostage. That's the kind of thing that would be normally unokay. But he's doing it as a friend. And they start laughing and joking. You remember where we met? You remember my bachelor party? And he just evokes all these wonderful, positive emotions and feelings. And then he says, oh, by the way, you remember Jadzia? The woman who's dying? Just BAM! He f Sorry, that was probably too loud. But he whiplashes him like crazy. Hang on, hang on. That was at the 60-minute. I'm going to try and mute my lower the volume on that point. Just later in the in the post, we'll, we'll see if it was loud too loud. But anyways, he just whiplashes him like crazy. And you could see, again, credit to John Glover, you can see his voice just plummet like, or his face just plummet like, oh my god. Oh my god. I, right, I'm, but, and there's this great bit where, where they continue to talk, and they continue to talk, and they continue to talk, and Muriel's finally like, why are you listening to this guy? And then, uh, Virad Dax turns and practically yells, because he's my friend. It's a great scene. It's a great scene, and it really showcases just how messed up this scenario has become. And how messed up the trill can be, which I'm building up to that point as well. Um, then, of course, Cisco pretty much just hammers Muriel from that point onward, like, okay, look. <laughs> this is getting bad. Okay, this this is getting bad. I also have to give credit. Uh, the episode actually made me legitimately laugh out loud once when Cork is down there, ah, and then they they knock out Yeddo, the Klingon, and the Klingon falls over, and Cork says, ah, "Thank you, Doctor. I feel much better." <laughs> that was great. That was great. And I'm, and then the episode kind of ends. I don't have much else to say about this, about the episode proper, but there are two topics I really want to bring up. The Trill and Dax. First, let's cover the Dax topic, because I have less to say about it, and it's more of a question. Because the episode never answers how much of this was Dax. Obviously... Uh, Virad Dax had access to a lot of Dax's memories and feelings. He, he obviously had the confidence to present himself properly, and the knowledge was there. And he obviously had some of the sentimentalities as well. Even though he was willing to abandon his lover, girlfriend, whatever, he did still go out of his way to try and help other people, pretty much just because, you know, he, because he wanted to help them. He also reached out to Benjamin, that is to say, Cisco, many times. But if we are to postulate here how much, what percent, if you will, of the willingness to effectively commit murder, first degree, I might add, so in other words, willful, intended, pre-planned, premeditated, how much of this was Dax? Now, obviously, the pre-planned part isn't. I'm willing to accept that. But once Dax is in Virad Dax, he still goes ahead with it. He's still totally cool with killing Jadzia and bailing, getting on a ship, and heading off to the Gamma Quadrant. Bye! He even tries to logic chain his way around it by using usual logical fallacies. You know, one life worth 15 life, blah, blah, blah. 
Now, I call those fallacies because those are logic problems and not moral and ethical problems, and logic does not apply to a, an ethical dilemma. Logic is not part of an ethical dilemma. Logic is over here, right? Um, how much of that do you think was Dax? I'm really curious what you guys think. Now, the episode also hints, like twice, I think, that something might be going wonky and weird with this particular joining, that Dax and Virad weren't really properly gelling. Because it felt in many ways like Virad-Dax, Virad was the one at the wheel most of the time, to, 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 borrow with the, uh, to borrow another analogy here. And yet Dax obviously was still part of this. In addition to the confidence and the memories, he, as I mentioned, he was clearly influenced, or it was clearly influencing Virad's uh, direction, mentality, that sort of a thing. So what do you think? Now, this is also a fascinating episode because it's probably our first real episode, well, it's our second real episode, but it's the first really meaty episode to really dig into what the Trill are. We brought this up earlier in the episode... Dax, the episode where we discussed, you know, criminal rights and justice, but we didn't really dig into the trill proper there. It was mostly about the relationship between Jadzia, Jadzia Dax, and Curzon Dax, and that was about it. This is really showing on screen and deliberately what happens when Dax moves from person to person. We see the transference both ways. We see how completely different is Varad before, during, and after, and this, the same is true with Jadzia. But it paints an interesting picture because the idea here is actually kind of alien when you think about it. Like the idea of one person controlling another and accessing their memories, that's easy to comprehend. The idea of the two people truly blending and forming a new person, that's a little bit trickier. By the way, that is my opinion I, in response to the question I asked earlier. I think Virad Dax was still complicit in the murder. But if Dax as an individual entity is complicit in that, is is basically difficult to judge because Dax and Virad Dax are different people, by the way I view it, and that's just my opinion on it. Um, this also leads to something else that I want to talk about. I can put away my notes at this point because I know what I'm talking about. I want to talk about the aristocracy. Hear me out for a second. We've already gotten hints about this in previous episodes, and this will be a recurring theme in future episodes that have to do with the Trill as well. Jadzia gives an off-the-top-of-her-head number. One in ten become joined. Ten percent of the population. Pretty, pretty small. Like, larger than I was expecting, honestly, but that is still pretty small. Um, that kind of implies... What I'm trying to say here is that we have kind of a blue-blood situation going on. And I don't even know if it's deliberate, although I do know several of the writers were kind of leaning that way with the trill. What we have is kind of a weirdly natural elitism amongst the Trill. To become a joined Trill, you have to be the best. You have to know what you're doing. You have to apply yourself. You have to study. There's like a, they, they talk about this several times in previous episodes, this one and future ones, about all the, the classes and the schools you have to go to. You have to be mentored. You have to be sponsored in order to get to the point of becoming one of the elite, a joined Trill. And not many trills are joined. And with the numbers they have, there's probably pretty much always at least one symbiont that it is ready to be moved on to a new body. But you get the, the general gist of this. You know, it's not like... I'm trying to think how to put this. 
It's like if me and every single one of my real-life friends and most of my immediate family, only one of us had the choice to become joined, and therefore that person was elite. Now, there are logical reasons to limit this. First of all, there's supply. Obviously, there's going to be more normal trill. Uh, ratio, the ratio of trill to, to symbiote is, is, is greater. I get that. That makes sense. And also... Not everyone is compatible. They talk about this in this very ep episode, and it's one of the reasons that Viradex might have been basically an abomination. You have to have certain biological requirements, certain mental requirements. You know, not everyone is applicable for joining, although that makes me wonder what the hell was going on with Dax's you know, sociopath murderer symbiote, but we'll get to that in Season 7, I think. <laughs> I think they mentioned it before now, but yeah. Anyways, so it makes sense in many ways that they need to be very restrictive about this. It's the same general reasoning. Well, I shouldn't use that analogy. That's too politically charged right now. Uh, it's the same general reasoning behind being a registered nurse. We'll go with something nice and neutral. You know, I'm, there are plenty of people who would probably like to be nurses. Even though it's a lot of work, it's also a lot of money, and you're basically set for life, especially since your uh, retirement plan is probably going to be pretty good. But not everyone who tries to become a registered nurse succeeds at it. In fact, quite a few fail at it. There's a reason we here in the States have had a shortage of nurses for so long. It's because not everyone can get in, right? It just makes sense. However, just because it makes sense does not mean that we're not going to have the logical biases built in. You could probably say, straight-faced, a joined trail is not necessarily better than an unjoined trail. Judzia Dax herself says that in this episode. My rest of my family aren't joined, and they live perfectly happy, functional lives. But you can hear the elitism in that sentence, even though it's probably unintended. Because it's so obvious why people, why joined and unjoined, would automatically perceive the joined as the elite. They are rarer, it is more difficult to accomplish, and they are literally superior. No, seriously. In terms of the amount of knowledge and... and capacity they have from an intellectual perspective, they simply have advantages that unjoined trills do not, cannot have. So it does make a degree of sense to have that elitism. This, of course, brings up the problem. All of the, the social problems and the, the cultural problems, the political problems that this joined thing would cause and this innate elitism would cause. Now... I'm going to kind of cut off here-ish, because I don't have much else to add to that, and there will be future episodes discussing this exact concept. So I don't want to talk about everything I've got to say about this topic now, when it'll be coming up again in the future. But I just wanted to kind of engage that discussion and, and see what you guys think about this as well, this whole natural, automatic elitism of joined trails versus unjoined trails. It's also funny, because if you really sit down and think about it, there's no solution to it. Everyone isn't qualified to be a joint trail. Like, even if we had enough, some people really shouldn't have symbiotes in them. It just doesn't work. They're not fit, or they're crazy, or whatever, right? Or maybe the biochemistry doesn't work. We know that the whole joining process is a pretty tricky one. There's a reason why an unjoined trail will die without a symbiote. It's because their system has pretty much become fully dependent upon it. So... Fun stuff. Anyways, that little spot of darkness out of the way. I did enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll be joining me next week for the next one, which I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. So, I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>